Well, hey everyone, I am excited to share a message with you from God's Word today. We are continuing our series called Faith in Action through the book of James. As Steve, who just prayed, uh, gave a great message last week from the end of James chapter 1. He talked about how we're to be doers of the Word, not just hearers only, and deceive ourselves. Uh, real faith is shown in the action of our lives. Action, action, action. And as believers in Jesus Christ, maybe the most important action that we can show is love. Jesus said that uh, as his disciples, we would be known by our love. And if you'll remember, that section of scripture ends with uh, James talking about uh, genuine faith, genuine religion is to care for widows and orphans in their distress. And I like how Steve ended the message saying, you and I are going to have opportunities to show care, love, generosity to people who may not have any ability to pay us back. Now this week, James is going to address an obstacle that shows up in our hearts that prevents us from showing that kind of love. How do we love like Jesus? And how did Jesus show us love? Jesus showed us love without any sort of limit. Now, as Christians, we can't limit our love. We can't just love certain people. I, I didn't necessarily realize that when I was a brand new Christian. I met Jesus as a teenager, and I started going to youth group. I had a lot of friends at youth group, and we enjoyed spending time together, singing songs and learning about God, playing ridiculous games. One was, uh, uh, there was one game we had to uh, eat chili out of a diaper. All God's people said, uh, that was gross, right? But, you know, as a young, as a teenage boy, I was like, that was awesome. Yeah. Well, I'll never forget the night that a new kid showed up at youth group. And there was a leader that came over and said, hey, oh, hey, Brian, there's a new boy at youth group. He's about your age. Would you go over and say hi? And I remember thinking in my heart, like, no. I don't want to go say hi to somebody new. Like, I'm here for my Friends, I'm here to hang out with them, not to go hang out with somebody I don't even know. And then she pointed out this, this uh, new um, person in youth group, and I, I looked over, and I definitely didn't want to go meet this person. I knew who this boy was. He had just moved from California and was dressed like a gangster. I had never met or had any friends that dressed like a rapper from a rap song. See, there's something in our hearts we all battle called prejudice. And it, is, it just means to prejudge someone based on their outward appearance. And I was reluctant to introduce myself to this, this person at our youth group because he was different. But I decided to do it anyway. I took a deep breath, went over and said hi. And you won't believe it, the most amazing thing happened. Five years later, not just a good friend, but he was the best man in my wedding. Can you believe that? Isn't God surprising? He surprises us. Sometimes when we step out in faith and step out of our comfort zone. But I learned a really important lesson that day. I learned that when we walk with Jesus, we walk in love, 
And that means we can't let our favorites keep us from being somebody else's friend. How do we love like Jesus? How do we love without limit? If you have your Bible, please open up to James chapter 2. That's where we'll be today, James chapter 2. And I want to talk to you about this subject of favoritism. Favoritism. What is favoritism? If you're not sure what that is, let's go ahead and define it. Favoritism, according to Merriam-Webster, is the unfair practice of treating some people better than others. The Greek word translated favoritism in James chapter 2 literally means to receive someone according to the face. It's treating people differently based on their outward appearance, the face, rich or poor, black or white, young or old, cool or uncool, uh, high rank in the company, not ranked in the company. Like, I hate to admit it, but the reality is this, this issue of favoritism is just as alive and well in our hearts today as it was back in the days of the New Testament. And here we are, we're Christians, we're followers of Jesus Christ. And James is saying, okay, how do we put our faith into action? And the answer is we love people equally without any limits. Right? It doesn't matter who you are. We treat people right, everyone, because that's what Jesus did and that's what Jesus taught us to do. Listen to what James says about this problem of favoritism. You're in James 2, pick it up in verse 1. He says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, oh, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? you've dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? But if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. And if you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, have you not become a lawbreaker? Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Wow. What strong words this morning from James, the brother of Jesus. Let's take a moment and pray, and we'll 
uh, look at what this means for us. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for bringing each of us into this room this morning. We're not here by accident, God, but we're here to become more like Jesus. So God, I pray that you would break apart the favoritism in our hearts and teach us how to truly love our neighbors as ourselves, just as we learned in Jesus. So speak to our hearts in the way that only you can, by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're talking about favoritism. And the question is, why is favoritism such a big deal? Why does it matter? Why is it, you know, he's talking about it, it must not show favoritism, it's a sin. Well, James gives us three reasons why favoritism is a big deal. Number one, first thing James shows us is that faith and favoritism do not mix. Uh, it's not fitting for a believer in Jesus Christ to show favoritism. In James 1, he says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. So James makes it clear that faith in Christ is incompatible with an attitude of favoritism. Because who is Jesus? Right? James, James tells us, he says, we are believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see who Jesus is? He's the one who defeated death. He's risen, exalted, seated on a glorious throne that he might have preeminence above all things. He, he could speak of one who is highly exalted, supreme in majesty, supreme in glory, one whose appearing will be seen every knee will bow, every tongue confess, and here we are making discriminations about little differences in outward appearance, and, and James says that, that doesn't fit. Do you see who Jesus is? Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, faith and favoritism don't mix. James makes his point with an illustration he brings us into a, a gathering of the church, a worship gathering, and he, he says, imagine if this happened, what, what, is, what might favoritism look like? Verse 2, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, oh, here's a good seat for you, say to the poor man, you stand there, sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And this scene is, is hypothetical for James, but isn't it one that, that resonates with what could be stories that could be told, you know, both modern and ancient? I was just thinking about, <coughs> excuse me, frog, Early on in our nation's history, when uh, white churches forced black Christians either to segregate somewhere in the church or just to separate from the church altogether. And, uh, you know, Philadelphia is the home of a lot of firsts, the, the home of the very first black denomination. Do you know how the first black denomination was started? Well, it happened when Richard Allen and Absalom Jones went to church on a Sunday morning. They accidentally sat in the new white-only section of the church. 
And while they were kneeling in prayer, someone came by, literally pulled them up off their knees and removed them from the church. With nowhere else to go, they formed the very first black denomination right here in the city of brotherly love. Brian Loritz, an insider-outsider, writes, tough words here, guys. The black church was birthed out of rejection. Just about every historic black denomination is the offspring of white folks wanting nothing to do with us. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. famously said, 11 a.m. on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the week. We still live with the effects of that today, don't we? In, in different ways. And the vision for James is that he presents for us a church today where everyone is welcomed and everyone is loved. Does favoritism show up in churches today? Different ways? You bet it does. Uh, someone that I know is a part of a church right now, they're going through a hard time. A lot of people are leaving the church. There's uh, all kinds of gossip and rumors floating around. But it's becoming clear that uh, the pastor and the pastor's wife are giving special attention to the big givers in the church. It's favoritism. By the way, I don't know what anybody gives. So we talk about that in Discover Hope. I really don't. There's only a couple of people on the finance team that know. I have another friend. He applied for a worship position at a church uh, in California. And he didn't get the position not because of his abilities but because he didn't have the look you know they were looking for like somebody even more with like uh scoop neck t-shirts big glasses scarf skinny jeans i guess the skinny jeans helps you hit the high notes i don't know i don't know why the worship leaders in skinny jeans it's some there is something there i haven't quite put my finger on it speaking of worship leaders i Ask Mario if I could share this. When Mario and Kate first visited Hope, they were overwhelmed by how many people introduced themselves to them, said hi. And uh, you know, we want to be a church where every worshiper leaves welcomed. And I just want to thank all of you for being such a welcoming church family. Mario tells the story of how they were trying out different churches and they visited one church. As soon as the service was over, everybody broke off and circled up with their friends. Ever been in that church? And he was just standing there in the middle of the room, wondering if anybody would even acknowledge him. He actually pulled out his phone, started the timer to see how long it would take. We cannot let our favorites at church keep us from being somebody else's friend. Favoritism is not fitting for a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. The first reason why favoritism is a big deal, faith and favoritism just doesn't miss. Mix, excuse me. Uh, second reason favoritism is a big deal. By favoring others, we miss the heart of God. So uh, James describes this scene where there's uh, two people show up at church. One is a rich man. He's like got all the gold rings on his fingers. And then there's a poor man with the shabby clothes. And the rich man is ushered to this fantastic seat. But the poor man is like, oh, sorry, can you just stand in the back? Or here, why don't you sit at my feet? I mean, that's crazy, right? 
But in essence, they're making a judgment saying, oh, you're more important because you have all these possessions and maybe you're not as important because you just don't have as much. And it's easy in our culture today to give special attention to those who are richer or those who are cooler or those who are more attractive. And James is saying, if we show favoritism, we miss the heart of God. He goes on to say in the next verse, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Many of James' illustrations in the book of James are on this topic of riches and poverty. We're going to be talking a lot about this. But James here is saying, guys, you don't understand the heart of God. The person you've snubbed is someone loved by God, someone God desires to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom. To inherit the kingdom he promised to who? What does it say? Who's the kingdom promised to? Help me out. Those who love him. Notice he doesn't say the kingdom he promised to those who are poor. Being poor never saved anyone. There are righteous poor, there are unrighteous poor. But the kingdom of God, eternal life, has been promised to those who love him and who have trusted in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you love God and you believe in Jesus, it doesn't matter who you are, rich or poor, there is a kingdom that you are inheriting, the kingdom of God, the reign and rule of God is breaking into your heart and your life right now, even as we speak, and it will come one day in full. And what a day that will be when God makes everything right. But in one sense, are the poor chosen by God to be rich in faith? Do you notice that? The poor have been chosen by God to be rich in faith. Thinking about that this week. There's something about being poor where you recognize your need for God's grace. It's true. This is the heart that God is looking for, a heart that begins to cry out to God saying, God, I don't have what I need. Will you help me? Jesus said in Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who recognize their need for God, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But the rich person in their pride is always going to be tempted to say, look at what I got. I don't need God. I don't need to trust God. I've got everything I need. I'm just fine. That's always going to be the temptation. And Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples heard that. They asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus explained, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And you never met a person whom God doesn't love. 
But if we go around treating people differently, we're missing God's heart. In fact, James goes on, he says, not only are we missing God's heart, but we start to side with other people who are missing God's heart. Verse 6, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? So we're getting a window now into the lives of those early believers in Jesus. Some of them were being exploited and oppressed by the rich. Are they not the ones dragging you into court? Hey, if you're poor and you get dragged into the court, it's kind of hard to defend yourself. Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? What's James saying? He's saying, wait a minute here. You're going you're gonna to go around courting the favor of the wealthy? These elites who are oppressing the people, the common, hardworking people, are you kidding me? Not only does that not make sense, it's wrong. Right? They're the ones that who are destroying people's lives. You're going to side with them? Think about what you're doing. Favoritism is a big deal because, number one, faith and favoritism don't mix. Number two, by favoring others, we miss the heart of God. And then number three, I like this, favoritism is a sin that can be conquered by love. So here, James has given us like a real-life illustration He's shown us how it doesn't make sense with what we're seeing around us, but then he finally opens up the Bible. He's going to take us to a really important passage of Scripture because he wants us to see that love is the command and the calling of every believer in Jesus. Look at this, verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. So this, this phrase, love your neighbor as yourself, he's actually referring to an Old Testament scripture. Did you guys know that? I was kind of thought, oh yeah, like Jesus was the one who said, no, that actually comes from Leviticus 19.18. It's tucked in there, <laughs> kind of a crazy spot. But he's referring back to the Old Testament law. And then by calling it the royal law, if you keep the royal law, he's connecting it with who? With Jesus, our king. And the kingdom that Jesus has made available to each and every one of us who put our faith in Jesus. So this is the royal law, the law of Jesus, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Do you guys remember that occasion where there was an expert in the law that came to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Remember that? Which one's most important? This is how Jesus replied, Mark chapter 12. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. And then he says the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19, 18. There's no commandment greater than these. Isn't Jesus amazing? I kind of love the way he teaches. Because somebody comes up and is like, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus is like, well, it's not actually a commandment. But it's two commandments. And they're unified. They're one. It's like two sides of the same coin. What's the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is love God, love love your neighbor. Isn't that interesting? Jesus breaks it down this way so he can emphasize a crucial point. Check this out. Love for God is demonstrated by our love for others. 
See, Jesus doesn't separate us. Our love for God is demonstrated in our love for others. And in this love, there's no favoritism. There's no partiality. There's no discrimination. Jesus taught that we're to love all of our neighbors equally. To show the same love, the same kindness and compassion to every single person we encounter. doesn't matter who they are. Because our love for God, our heart, soul, mind, and strength is demonstrated in the way we love our neighbors. That's cool. So our church's vision is actually to do just this. We want to put our faith into action by following Jesus' royal law, which involves loving God, loving one another within our church community, and loving our neighbors as ourselves, we just call this up in and out. What does a transformed life look like? We put the mark right in the middle. This is what a changing life looks like. I'm growing in my love for God. I'm growing in my love for the family of God, and I am reaching out in love to my neighbors, loving them as myself, and declaring the hope of Jesus Christ. This is a life transformed by Jesus. Now, where does, where does this leave favoritism? Verse 9. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery also said, you shall not murder. And if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you become a lawbreaker. It's just one law. It's kind of what he's saying there. Hold, um, so yeah, hold it right here. I think we all agree that favoritism is wrong. But what James is saying here is that favoritism is not just wrong. It's a sin. And he compares it with other sins, like murder and adultery, And so he's raising the stakes, isn't he, on this sin of favoritism. So something like showing partiality, it's not just a a little sin, it's a big deal. It's such a big deal, he says at the end, verse 12, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James is saying, hey, there's going to be a day when every one of us stands before our holy creator where we will answer for our lives he will review how we have treated other people and in that moment you and i will desperately want mercy not judgment and praise god because jesus died on the cross for our sins rose from the dead paid the price When we put our faith in Jesus, we are justified. We are made right before God. We can stand on that day knowing that mercy triumphs over judgment. How awesome is that? That God would show us that kind of mercy. And now James says, okay, in our relationships with one another, let this same principle stand. Mercy triumphs over judgment. With the person who annoys me at work, okay, God is showing me mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. 
The person that I look down upon. No, no, no. The poor person, whoever that is. The rich person. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Have you guys seen uh, the movie Jesus Revolution? Anybody seen that movie? Good movie. You got to see it. Got to go see it. Set in California in the 1960s. And it tells the story of the greatest spiritual awakening in American history, the Jesus Movement. And uh, it opens with uh, this uptight, square, call him square pastor, Chuck Smith, who really does something unthinkable. He begins to invite a bunch of barefooted, carefree, eccentrically dressed hippies to come and worship at their church. Gotta see it. Crazy. Well, the lay leaders of the church are offended by this. And they gotta go into Chuck's office and give him the what for. And they're especially upset that these, that there are young people walking into church barefoot. And it is dirtying their brand new shag carpet. It's upsetting. And Chuck, he can lose his job over this. When everybody shows up the next Sunday, they see a long line of people out of the door, young people. And there at the front, Pastor Chuck Smith is on his knees and he's washing every young person's feet, saying, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Mercy triumphs over judgment. See, our church's vision is to put our faith in action. By loving people the way Jesus loved people, we see hope being a place where every worshiper leaves welcome, where everyone knows they are loved, valued, and cared for, a place where mercy triumphs over judgment. Favoritism is a big deal. It turns out it's in my heart, it's in all of our hearts, and what James is showing us today is that faith and favoritism don't mix. Favoring others, we miss the heart of God. And last one, favoritism is a sin. It can be conquered by love. Let's pray. Wow. <laughs> Thanks. So God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for loving us in only the way that you can. You came for each one of us. You didn't look at the outward appearance, but you came for our heart. And we know there are just many things in our heart that we want to give to you. And one of those things is favoritism, partiality, discrimination. God, it has no place in our hearts. And so we ask for forgiveness. We ask for healing. We thank you for this church where so many people can come and know that they're loved and valued and accepted. And I just pray that we would all carry that vision and share that love wherever we go. Thank you for Christ. Thank you that he carried our burden all the way to the cross and he shed his blood so that we could truly say in our lives, mercy. God, if there's anyone here this morning that just wants to say yes to you, 
to trust in you, I pray that this would be that moment where they pray, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sins and rising from the dead. And I give you my life today because you gave your life for me. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Change my life and make everything new. If that's your prayer this morning, you've become, begun a new life with God, an eternal life, where the kingdom of God is breaking into your heart even now. And we just pray for more and more, God. We pray for breakthroughs. And as we head into 2024, God, that your vision of love would be accomplished in this house and in our neighborhoods, all around this church, in our community, God. We pray that this would be a church where needs are met, where lives are changed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.